Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm your host, FY24 SWE President Alexis McKittrick, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. We are live at WE23 at the Diverse Podcast Studio with Tamara Robinson. Hello. <laughs> Tamara is an Emmy-nominated producer, TV host, engineer, speaker, and youth STEM advocate. <laughs> you may have seen her in a number of places, perhaps on the Science Channel TV show, SciJinx, or at SWE's Invent It, Build It event, helping girls build hydraulic lifts, or potentially on another show you may have heard of, Mythbusters. <laughs> Tamara, welcome to Diverse. It's such an honor to have you here. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. We are so happy to have you here and also have you be part of our Invented Build It activity here at We23. Oh, it's always a fun time with the girls. Yes, yes. <laughs> so on Diverse, we like to start at the beginning. So I'd love to know a little bit about your own origin story. Um, what sparked your interest in engineering and STEM? Uh, it's actually really funny. I tend to joke that I got really lost on the way to graduation, but I started out a tinkerer. You know, I grew up in the shop with my dad rebuilding engines from the time that I was knee high to a duck until still anytime he's in town. Um, but I didn't actually know any engineers. Uh, it wasn't until I was a sophomore in college when I had a math teacher pulled me aside and asked me why I wasn't in engineering. And I remember looking at her and laughing and saying, I don't think girls do that. And it was because the only engineer I knew at the time was Scotty from Star Trek and obviously male television, not quite the mold that I was falling into. Um, she did not find it quite funny because she, in fact, was a female engineer. Uh, and she took me and had me go and join a course that they had where you got to take a weekend trip to one of the local colleges. And I went up to NC State, go pack, and sat in my first material science class and felt challenged and engaged for the first time in school ever. And went back, changed my major to engineering, and never looked back. So it's kind of an interesting thing. I've always been a tinkerer, but never knew I could make money at it until I was a sophomore. <laughs> I, I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing how there's kind of that one adult advocate, right, that made such a difference in, in, in your career by pointing out that you could move towards engineering. I think a lot of our listeners probably have similar stories that they can share, right? How there was that one person who, who put out that suggestion to them that really helped set them on the course to engineering to tinkering. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's why I love what we do with SWE Next, especially because had I had that as a middle school, high school girl, I would have invested a lot less time in a history major. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of your work in STEM advocacy, um, many people know you through that and, and as a science host, of course, on TV, but you're also a chemical and biomolecular engineer by training. Could you share the kinds of projects that you worked on kind of early in your career that helped foster that love of engineering? 
Yeah, so I worked throughout my engineering degree doing undergrad research. I actually ran our university's biodiesel facility on the farm. So um, it was kind of a neat pilot plant project. I got to like rebuild it and work with different feedstocks, um, which actually was helpful because I had the unfortunate luck of graduating in 2009 during the recession. And so I had had an internship during which I worked for a traditional chemical company working in plastics additives and actually got a patent while I was an intern. Uh, that's now in 90% of polypropylene uh, globally. And so during that time I thought, oh, I'm definitely going to get a job because I got a patent for this company. And of course, during the recession, we all came out to most of our job offers being either rescinded or put on hold. So luckily for me, my senior design project was working with a local greenfield startup designing their downstream process and basically looking at return on investment for them to either go into stainless steel bioreactors or disposable bioreactors for their vaccines process. And so at the time I kind of was like, okay, the writing's on the wall. I'm not gonna get this job with my internship company. I need to get a job and I kind of went to my intern lead and I was like, hey, if you guys really like me, you could uh, bargain against my other <laughs> offer that didn't <laughs> right. exist. You know, the whole fake it till you make it kind of thing. And I got offered a job with them and it was one of the best experiences because as a startup engineer, I came on a week after groundbreaking for them and I got to help globally tech transfer a process from Germany to the States. And I worked all the way through qualifications, validations, through the first year of making clinical material. Um, I got to work with the F FDA and the CDC, um, as well as the World Health Organization during the swine flu pandemic. I got sent abroad with them, got to wear a lot of different hats. And then shortly into getting to kind of day-to-day -day manufacturing, which I found out um, I am definitely a startup junkie mm -hmm. with regards to like, I like the fast pace, the high stress environments. Around that time, I got a call back from my internship company and they're like, do you want to come back to Plastics Additives? We'd love to have you. And so I got to actually go back and take the additive I helped develop and bring it to market, which was really cool because I got to work with companies like Starbucks and McDonald's to take a large amount of waste out of landfills that they were having with their more um, higher engineered polymers and move them into polypropylene, which had a better recyclability. And then from there, I worked with a lot of different companies and, and ended my, my corporate career and post-fluorination of food packaging. So again, removing waste from landfills from spoiled foods. So I tell people all the time, like chemical engineering, if you don't know what you want to be, but you want to be an engineer, go into chemical engineering. Because I've, I've worked in healthcare, I've worked in bio and green energies, I've worked in traditional chem, um, I've worked in medical, like you can touch every single part of the world and every single industry with that one degree. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. Plus it's the highest paid BS that you can have. So, you know, if you want to pay back student just, loans. Just drop that, <laughs> drop that a little bit right there at the back. No, I I agree. I will say as a, as a fellow chemical engineer, I always feel like I'm very biased, but I share the same message. Like chemical engineers can do anything. Yeah, literally anything. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And I love, it's such, such an amazing story arc. Thank you for painting it for 
for us everything, like all the different parts of the process, all the different places that you were able to develop technologies that then impacted the world, even through in like some business case work in there. It's just amazing all of the different things you were able to accomplish. And that was that was just like the first six years of your career, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's oh, that's amazing. Okay, so let's let's fast forward. So and I think it was 2015 mm-hmm. you ended up leaving corporate engineering to invest your time in solving the pipeline leaks to get more women into STEM career pathways. Mm-hmm. So this is obviously a topic that's near and dear to many, many sweet members' hearts. Um, were you nervous to walk away from that 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 great story arc? we just talked about, right? That stable career path and then strike out on your own. Talk to me about the transition. Yeah. So it was a, it was a really interesting thing. So like when I was working with all of my companies, I had always either been a part of or worked to build women in leadership programs and, and women empowerment programs. So it was something that I was already kind of doing small scale with in the organizations. And then when I hit executive level in my last role, I turned around to try to bring up the women below me because I'm like, this is this is what people do. You get to the top, you turn around and you, you pull people forward. And we didn't have women for five tiers of management at my last company. And I'm like, where are they? Like, are, are they not coming in the door? And I started talking to them like, are we just not, are we not retaining them? Are we not grooming them to like advance? Like what is happening? And we started kind of hearing all these different stories about why we were losing them across our company. And so I started looking into like why we were losing them across the pipeline in general. And I started realizing that it wasn't one place or the other. We weren't losing them all in elementary school or middle school or high school or college or post-college or post-family development. Like we had leaks everywhere. And so I was like, there's there's a bigger issue here that needs to be solved and we need to be talking to these young women at all stages. And I was like, I, I really want to do this. And at the time, I was given the fact that I was working for a capital investment firm that we had bought a company in Houston, grew it fourfold and we're flipping it. So I had the opportunity to either join the investment firm, stay with the company or take a severance package. And I was like, well... I could take this and roll it into a year of just really focusing on outreach. And that's all it was supposed to be. I was going to do, I was going to spend a year. I was going to make the connection so that then it could just be a volunteer thing I did on the side of my engineering career. But it was during that year that the Mythbusters franchise found me and asked me to come and be one of 10 to compete to become a new host of the show. And, you know, I, I was like, OK, I want to just show up. And I, I knew I'd been in a shop since I was a toddler. So I was like, I got this. I can at least prove that we as women can be in a shop and hold our own against men. Um, and so when I showed up there and became the two MVP winner and the only female finalist, it, it opened the opportunity for me to continue doing that, which offset that loss of wages and, and gave me the flexibility to spend the six months a year that I wasn't filming on the road with more kids, doing more programs and developing, you know, what, what now is my, my STEM multimedia company where we put out comics and we put out camps and we do this, um, Um, And so while it was, it should have been scarier 
Um, but be- between, you know, to be honest, between the, the, the severance package to leave and, you know, the show coming within a year of that and the fact that I always had engineering to fall back on it, it wasn't as scary as a lot of my counterparts that are also union actors that right now don't have the, the engineering career to fall back on, you know? <laughs> wow. Wow. I really appreciate all of that. I mean, just the, the, the gumption, right, to just take the myth bucks opportunity and just kind of grab it and say like I can do this again I think that's something that we always hear from from listeners is like they want to be able to build that confidence and I just really appreciate you role modeling that for for everyone and I'm I am I'm not upset that you that you weren't nervous in fact I love I love that message um, and let's talk about Mythbusters a little bit while we're while we're on the subject so do you have any favorite anecdotes or memories from your time on the show um, oh gosh, there's so many. I, I usually get asked like my favorite build, and I have a tie between two. Um, as a rock climber, when I got to change a vacuum into a scaling apparatus and climb a seven-story building, that was pretty awesome. Uh, that was also my uh, s- second MVP on the show, and I was the only one that actually got past. I don't even think anyone else made it to the first story, let alone past it. Um, so that was really cool. And then uh, we. We built what we nicknamed the Dandelion of Doom, which is a one-ton apparatus uh, that was supposed to utilize explosives to paint a room. And so it's 36 feet of MIG welds, and we basically put 36 barrel nozzles on each side so that or no 36 total is nine on each side and we we worked with the different flares that you can use to be able to paint further and closer um so it was really neat because we got to look at like viscosity and projectile like patterns and all of these things so that was really cool as like a five foot you know 100 pound girl to make a one ton apparatus um but honestly for me i think overall the best part of my time with the Mythbusters franchise was doing Mythbusters Junior. So like working with the juniors was just so incredible and getting to pass that torch to them and now seeing what they're continuing to do with it has been incredible in their own like lives and it's crazy because they're in college now and like when they were on the show they didn't even have license most of them so it's it's just time Time goes really fast. They grow up so quickly. <laughs> they do, <laughs> right? But 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 I love that so much. Oh, um, I really like the dandelion of doom. That yeah. is quite quite the name. <laughs> it is. <laughs> It is very large. I can sit inside of it. <laughs> and just the idea of like using using um, equipment and, and creating a machine that's going to paint paint a room mm-hmm. with robotics. I mean, I feel like in ten years we're going to be doing everything with <laughs> robots, right? And we yeah. keep and we going had, this way. We actually didn't do it with robots. We had to drop a pound of C four into it. So, um, and it's probably not the method you want to use because we blew a whole wall off. But I think robotics would have worked better. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is amazing. And I mean, explosives, right? Like, yeah. that sounds like it was a ton of fun. <laughs> One thing that's really great and I think really powerful is that you're using comic books and superhero science as a way to get kids really excited about STEM, which is so fun, right? And so engaging. And I heard you were featured as a scientist in an issue of Marvel's The Unstoppable Wasp, <laughs> yep. which is so cool. You're one of the heroines of the Seekers of Science. 
Arts Comics. So cool. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the intersections between you know comic books, art, that creativity side, and STEM in the work that you do. Absolutely. So comics to me are just, and they're such an easy avenue to get kids and adults excited about STEM because they're naturally diverse. They're naturally inclusive. You've got really cool powers in tech that can either be directly linked to engineering, if we're talking Batgirl, Batman, Tony Stark, or Ironheart, or if you're talking about like superpowers, like Captain Marvel's, where she's able to use her plasma cannons to take down asteroids. Like JPL has really cool asteroid cannons, you know? They're literally they have a job title there that is defender of the planet so like I have a friend that she's literally like a guardian of the galaxy it's amazing um and so connecting those dots in a way that is playful and fun is something that you know all the science has always shown all the research has always shown that we learn more through play than we learn in the classroom and so bringing in what we do with Seekers of Science, where we tackle real world problems with real world science, real world scientists, and we bring in a hands-on DIY for less than $5 that a kid can go home and like read it and see like karate chopping nanoparticles take on an oil spill because of course it is still a comic. Uh, and then go in and actually use dish soap and vegetable oil and clean up their own little oil spill and see how dispersants work and how a boom would work and how a skim would work. It becomes something where now they're invested and they're having fun. Um, and there is always that that discussion, right? Do we say STEM or do we say STEAM? Which one is going to be more marketable? Which one's the buzzword for the year? I always like to use hashtag putting the E in STEM because like, I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of fight in the game when it comes to the A, but I know that art is part of what I do every day between television hosting and producing a comic and doing design as an engineer in CAD or working with any form of laser when I'm also like mocking up my files. I'm using art every single day. Um, I get people are going to choose which one they're going to choose based on their companies, but I definitely think that there's an intersectionality there that is helpful. And for those of us that are voices um, within the STEM fields, especially having a grasp of improv and being able to read a script or being able to utilize a teleprompter. These are all acting skills that we can go and have some workshops too and gain a little bit more from our art friends, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh man, I really like the tie between the artistry and the comics and then coming back to engineering. The, the karate chopping nanoparticles, so cool. So you literally are using comic books and using art as a mechanism to show kids that engineers can change the world. Engineers can be that superhero. That is, that is so fantastic. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so you've been, you've been doing this, as we said earlier, since 20, 2015. Uh, and I mentioned story arcs earlier, so I'm going to, I'm going to invoke that term again. Talk to me about the story arc between 2015 and now, like, what are you hearing now from women and girls that are interested in, in STEM? And do you feel like things are trending in, in the right direction? What, what are you hearing from the work you're doing? 
Um, it's amazing. When I first started this in 2015, I was really, you know, I was in traditional chem, again, the only woman on our, like, executive board, the only one for five tiers of management, and there wasn't a lot of women to help mentor me to get ahead, um, and... I know that I was looking again to mentor other women. There wasn't a lot of women to mentor then, but now it's like they're just coming out of the woodworks everywhere. And I, and I don't just see it in engineering. I see it in fabrication as well. So like on the welding side of my life, like I do women empowerment workshops there and it's gone from being a, hey, I'm going to do a women's hour for welding and 90% that show up are men because they're all that's at the maker event to now it's like my entire courses are full of women coming to the maker event. And I think part of what's happening is, you know, we've created these movements via social media where, you know, growing up or being in a small town and maybe being the only woman doesn't limit you anymore. The networks are being developed. You know, we have organizations like SWE on campuses as well as in in actual corporate companies that are bringing the women together there. We're then coming to these conferences. We're making more connections where we're realizing, hey, even if you're not maybe in traditional chem, you're facing the same issues I'm facing, but in a different industry, but the learnings and the soft skills are the same. So let's share notes, let's do this. And I think you're seeing more and more that these gaps are being bridged instead of within the same industries, cross industry. We're starting to share that knowledge as women within these networks of like-mindedness that helps us then grow that the numbers of women within each of those industries as well. So it's been really neat to see. I also do, you know, like I do the Invent to Build It program here with the high school girls, which is now level two. And I do an all-girls STEM camp down in Florida. And we're just seeing more and more young ladies come out to these events and they're coming out already with the skills like they're not afraid to get their hands dirty and really tackle these world problems so unlike you know our generations where we were taught to be prim and proper they're being taught to break it and get dirty they're getting the same messaging and we're seeing that it really take root here that's that's great and I love the note on like that culture change right because you told the story earlier about how you know, you have that great role model that, that came out and said like hey you know, think about engineering and and you're pointed you all you and your groups are engendering this culture that no one's going to have that question right or at least that's what we hope yeah, right that's is what we they hope. all they all know they can tinker they can get dirty they can engineer mm -hmm. oh so exciting thank you so much for your work yeah thank you um so we mentioned earlier that we usually start with the beginning. What we like to end with typically is a call to action. So how can listeners of this podcast and women in engineering help get more women and girls in STEM career paths and support them on those journeys? What advice would you give to listeners for what can they do to help in this space? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest hurdles that we have as, as women in STEM is we need to kind of get out of our own way and get out of these young women's ways. I think that we love to tout the numbers and yes, the data is important and speaking to it, 
when we're trying to get funding for events for young women is important. But I don't like to walk into Invent It, Build It and just give this dreadful message of like, hey, we're we're only 21.9% of engineers. Like I instead want to instill them with hope. I want to instill them with those skills that they're going to go out there and they're going to tackle the world because right now, none of them know that the world doesn't want them to be engineers. None of them know that society thinks that they shouldn't be scientists. They all just want to tackle everything. And the one thing that we have to ensure is that we are not an additional echo in that pipeline of, hey, they don't want us here because we are the ones that have to lift them and give them hope. And I know the generation of women above me you all had to fight tooth and nail to get there. And I get it. There's a lot of jadedness. There's a lot of anger. But I will tell you that I have been held back the most in my engineering career by female managers. We have male allies that are lifting us. We need to become the female allies that are lifting each other because getting to the top and kicking back with a high heel is way worse than anything they can ever do to us. We have to start lifting each other because the minute that we buy into the fact that there's only one seat at the table for us, we let them win. Build a bigger table, build a chair, get as many girls as you can around that table and don't tell them that there's a limit that they don't know exists yet. Let them be who they are and let them run free because these girls, they're already changing the world. Those, those Mythbusters juniors like Allie, Rachel, um, Valerie, they were already changing things in their schools before we brought them on a set to show them to the world. And we just have to let them keep doing it. We have to get out of their way. Yes, get get out of their way and support, right? Yes, Continue yes. to give lift. them the tools, lift them. Absolutely. <laughs> but don't block them. So I, I, I don't know if you heard, but our theme for the conference and for the year is live without limits. And this is a <sighs> big that. part of that, right? If we're going to be able to live without limits, we have to be there to support each other, to advocate for each other all together. And I mm-hmm. love the networks that you were talking about earlier. That's what we want. We want to build up that support structure for everyone. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Well, we are about out of time for today. Tamara, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and to be on Diverse Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I, I love working with the organization. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Alexis McKittrick, FY24 SWE president. And from all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders. 